Previously on Snicktoons, I was joined once again by Nerdology 5280's own Jamie Sherman once again, and we watched and broke down X-Men the Animated Series Season 5, Episodes 3 and 4, Stormfront Parts 1 and 2, and it was a lot of fun. Those episodes are way better than I remember, and it was a lot of fun to watch those, and of course, just to talk about them with my good pal Jamie. Of course, before that, we spent nearly an hour or so just talking about the current state of our various fandoms that we have uh particularly the ones we have in common x-men marvel dc star wars that sort of stuff just kind of where the shows and movies and comics seem to be right now our thoughts and feelings on the strikes that are happening uh, that could affect how those things are handled in the future and you know, we just talked about general nerd stuff. I think we did talk about a few of the things that are upcoming that we're excited for. And yeah, it was a good time all around. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, make sure you go back and do that. And of course, stay tuned as myself and returning special guest host, watch and break down X-Men, the animated series, season five, episode five, the fifth horseman. All right, Bub, as you heard at the top of the show, we are back with a returning special guest. And because of what I think should make for a really fun top five uh, for what's perhaps her, her final appearance on Snake Tunes, depending on uh, what I do for X-Men 97. And that is my older sister, Ariana. Anna, welcome back to Snake Tunes. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I, let's, we'll get it out of the way early. Um, have you been up to any X-Men stuff lately? Not really. I was trying to find um, the um, a few of the X-Men films that had Quicksilver in it, and I don't have any of the streaming. Mm. <laughs> None of my streaming stuff that I have oh, okay. actually has First Class. That's the one I wanted to watch. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was it. The disappointment of I can't watch it right now. <laughs> oh dang, that's too bad. Yeah, um, I, I I own all of the X Men movies, physical and digital, with two exceptions. Don't means or Dark Phoenix physical media, but I own all of the X Men movies on Blu-ray, and I own all of them, uh, including Dark Phoenix and New Mutants on digital through iTunes and I own all the cartoons as well, physical and uh, well, not, not all of them. I actually don't have any X-Men evolution physical, um, but I do have all of the animated series and all of Wolverine and the X-Men on DVD. And then I own all of those in iTunes as well, just in case, because, you know, in case the streaming service lets me down um, or even in case the, uh, the lets me down or whatever, I still have the, the physical ones that I can throw in, but uh, yeah, that's a bummer that you can't find it anywhere. I, they used to all be on Disney Plus. Are they not on there anymore? Um, there's a majority of them on there, but not really any of the. Um, I think it's the early X Men films, like the first. I think they have the first hmm. one and the second one, 
but they don't have any of the stuff, oh, okay. um, you know, with the younger X-Men. So. Oh, weird. Oh, well, yeah. I guess, that, you know, that makes That's sense, right? I guess technically mm-hmm. Rogue yeah. was young yeah. in the first one, but you know what I mean. With the yeah, younger yeah, yeah. Things, No, like with that, the... And I yeah, think like it, in it, uh, with uh, like Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix has the younger ones, but then also like Days of Future Past and uh, First Class kind of had like a new kind of group that was that was like yeah, younger I as well. I thought they were on there as also, but I can't find them, so I don't know if there's a reason for that. Um, I mean, because Dark Phoenix, I think it was either I know Hulu has some, but I don't have that. I don't have that subscription because there's mm. different Hulu subscriptions. I think they have it, but that's not the subscription I have. So whatever. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Bummer. Yeah. I, I like the X-Men movies. I know a lot of people kind of love them and hate them. You know, it seems that the majority of fans out there kind of have like a love hate relationship where there's a handful of X-Men movies that they really enjoy but overall, I think the like majority of the fandom is kind of like, yeah, most of them aren't very good. There's a couple that are pretty good, um, but like nothing compared to like see, uh, phase two or three of the MCU, for example, is quality wise, you know. Right. Uh, but well, I, I love all of them. Like I, I, I like every single one of the of the movies, and that includes the the Wolverine trilogy. That includes New Mutants, and it includes the Deadpool, the two Deadpool movies. As okay. well as all of the X Men proper movies, like I, I like all of them. Yeah, I like them. I like all of them too. But some of the other, some of the films that I'd say probably weren't the best. There's certain characters that I really like, or certain scenes that I like to watch. <laughs> Maybe not the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I can. A, a couple. There's a couple of movies that come to mind that aren't at the very top of my list. And I definitely understand the people that are like, these are bad movies. Um, but even in those, like there's, there's certain sequences that I, I really think that they just nailed this, the, the character or they nailed like the look of how the, the powers would, would work or whatever. Um, right. and it's just really cool. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of movies that have good scenes. There's awesome scenes in, in every one of the movies. Um, but yeah, yeah, like sometimes, but like I still like them. They're, they're kind of like my my guilty pleasure movies, where like I'll sit down and watch all the X Men movies like annually, like once a year. I'll go through and watch all of them. I don't do that with many other properties. I used to do that with like Star Wars, uh, where I'd go right. through and like watch all six of the original trilogy and the prequels. But like I I can barely even watch the prequels anymore. For me, it's like original trilogy and Rebels, and like that's pretty much it for me. Rogue One, I'll throw Rogue One in there as well. Um, but like, that's pretty much all I watch for Star Wars nowadays is the original trilogy and Star Wars Rebels. And that's like, I don't really watch anything else. I don't watch Clone Wars or prequels. I certainly don't watch the sequels. Um, the Disney Plus series, uh, there's not a single one that I have any desire to rewatch, um, at right. this point, the live action ones. Um, yeah, it's 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 kind of like that. Like there, there's a lot of properties where I'm kind of like over it now, uh, but the X Men movies are still ones that I watch those like annually. I don't know some of these. Yeah, I, 
Are you there? Yeah. Yeah. No, okay. go ahead. Sorry. Um, some of, there's so many, um, some of these series, there's just so many films. <laughs> I can't do that anymore. Like I'll, if I'm going to watch it, I have to watch all of them and then I have to watch them in order of not when they were released, but when they take place, I just get really weird about it. <laughs> so unless there's a certain scene that I want to watch, like re- like just when I was looking for this particular scene, um, unless I want to do that, then I have to watch all of them and it just takes too long. <laughs> so I don't, I don't do it every yeah. year anymore. <laughs> Fair enough. Like I'll, I'll watch them at night after like everyone goes to bed and I'm like laying in bed and I've got my iPad and I'll just throw them on and kind of watch it. Like, and then when it's over, I'll just go to sleep. Um, yeah. so it's kind of like, I'm not necessarily taking time out of my day. It's just kind of like, it's my wind down thing. And then, and then I go to sleep afterwards, but I still, I still get through them. And I'm still working on like showing them to all the kids uh, this weekend, actually. Starting Wednesday of last week, um, I don't know why, but the the boys and I just kind of got the itch to, to play some more Marvel United because I think it's been a while since we had played. I think we played a little bit back in like February, March when the campaign was going on. Um, and then we packed up all the stuff and it's been on my shelf for a couple months, you know, since what February is so about four or five months. Um, and we were in my room and we were kind of looking at some of my, I think it was, we were looking at my X-Men pops. Um, and Landy was noticed all my, I was like, Hey dad, we should play this again. It's been a while. And I was like, all right, you twist my arm. Um, <laughs> and so we, we dragged it out and we were playing a couple games. And so Landy was asking if we can watch this, the opening scene of X2 with Nightcrawler. And so oh, yeah. I put that on and we watched it. And then we ended up just watching the whole movie while we played a couple of games of Marvel United. And like, we've done that every day now. Um, since, and we're like recording this on Sunday. So like for the past four or five days, mostly because like we're trying to give Maxton some space while he heals, you know, he's in the early days of his healing journey for his, uh, for his bro. So we're just trying to kind of like stay out of his way, stay out of his hair, just let him relax. So I've been hanging out with, with Landy in the man cave and that's what we've been doing to, to pass the time is we've been playing all these Marvel United scenarios and we're working our way. We did, we watched um, X2 and then he wanted to watch both of the Quicksilver scenes from uh, Days of Future Past and Apocalypse. So we watched the Apocalypse one first and then Days of Future Past. And then he was asking about Colossus, if he'd been in anything since X2. So then we just went back. Future Past, and then we watched that. So we watched X2 and Days of Future Past um, in the last like week, and just played a ton of games of Marvel United. Sounds like fun. Yeah, it's been fun. Um, and then of course he went in in with his Lego. Every time he gets into something new, he goes into like all of his old Legos, and he takes apart all of his minifigures to try to build like the best representation of the characters that he can. Yeah. Um. So he's built his own uh, Colossus and Nightcrawler and Quicksilver and Apocalypse and stuff. Um, and they're not too bad. Like, he, it's just kind of like mix and match with like different bodies and arms and, and heads and stuff that he already has. And uh, they're, they're not too bad. He's gotten like the color schemes right and everything. So X-Men Legos <laughs> as well. 
Yeah, so, okay, so you haven't been up to too much X-Men stuff. You've been trying to watch what you can, but, you know, the selection isn't isn't all that great. Um, have you been up to any other kind of nerd stuff? Any, uh, like, have you been watching, I guess, Secret Invasion just ended? Have you been watching that? Or um, did you, like, rewatch all the Indiana Jones movies when Dial of Destiny came out, anything like that? Well, I haven't. I haven't watched Dial of Destiny, so um, I'll wait for it to go on Disney Plus, I guess. Um, <laughs> if it's going to the other ones are on there. Um, but um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. As far as Secret Invasion goes, I mean, I'm really not all that invested in it. So what I was doing was just watching new rock stars and watching them <laughs> walk through the whole episode. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, I'll just watch it this nice. way. <laughs> and then I'll go back and watch the episode if I feel like it. Um, but it looks like most of the story, it's like this show is just leading up to the Marvels. So what what mm. this movie or this show is building up to, I think it's going to, we're really going to see the result or the results of that in the movie, the Marvels, I'm thinking. Mm. That's what yeah. it seemed like. Interesting. I could be yeah. wrong. Nice. But I was like, they can't just, I mean, the story is continuing what's happening. So that's what I'm thinking they're doing, maybe. Yeah, I mean, that's the next time we see Nick Fury, right? Like, he's right. all over the trailers for the Marvels, so we know he's in that. And, of course, the whole storyline with the scrolls started in Captain Marvel, and then it's, of course, it came into, uh, what was it, Far From Home? Yeah, yeah. Wait, no. With the scrolls, yeah. where it was like Nick Fury was was being impersonated by scroll. Yeah, far from yeah the second one. In, yeah, in that's Europe. right. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, and then, yeah, uh, this show, and then of course maybe we know that the fallout. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it could be, could be. I I haven't watched. Obviously, I, I don't have Disney Plus right now, so I haven't watched it. It was one that like I was kind of interested in. Um, seeing the trailers and stuff made it kind of look like it was like spy thrillery. Uh, but hearing a lot of the reviews and stuff, it kind of seems like maybe they've really haven't actually done a whole lot other than a couple of scenes here and there. And yeah, I'm like, all right, well, it kind of sounds like I'm not really. It sounds like a typical uh, Disney plus Marvel show kind of meanders on for like three or four episodes in the middle. <laughs> you have like the the premise in the first episode and then you have like the twist ending in the second episode and then it's like three filler episodes and then a finale where two people with the exact same powers punch each other until the good guy wins like right so it kind of sounds like i haven't really missed too much but i imagine that there would be some ramifications for nick fury that we probably have answered in the marvels like there's a pretty good big like question in space and what's he doing up there you know that yeah. sort of stuff and then also some of the people that the scrolls were impersonating you want to know how long that was going on for some of these people cuz that's bothersome <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i don't want to ruin anything well maybe you know if you've seen like all the reviews and stuff but um yeah it's a little upsetting if if you think how long have, right. have some of these people been out <laughs> when we saw them doing right. Everything. Yeah. Well, especially, <laughs> especially with like the main character who was revealed. Right. And then uh, without doing spoiler, cause I, I haven't watched it, but I do listen. My, my good buddy, Brett Scott has an excellent podcast called Marvel plus 
where he goes in week by week and breaks down each episode with like a new guest. Uh, kind of like what I do on Snicktoons, only way better because he did it. He was doing it before I was and I kind of stole it from him. Um, but he, he was doing that with all the Disney Plus series. And so even like like She-Hulk and Miss Marvel and ones that like um, I've been able to like stay up with him because of his excellent coverage and stuff. So just a little plug for my friend Brett Scott and his awesome Marvel Plus podcast. But he they just finished um, Secret Invasion. And I think next week they'll have their round table where he brings back multiple guests that he's had on um, and they'll kind of do like a no holds barred discussion of like the whole series and stuff. Um, so I've been listening to his show. So I know all the, all the twists and turns and, and, you know, all the reveals and stuff. And it just kind of sounds like with one character in particular, this is like the favorite character that I had left in the MCU after the, all the stuff that's happened um, since Um, was it, oh, geez, I'm forgetting the name of the movie since Endgame and then all of the stuff from phase four, like my favorite character that's left was revealed to be a scroll. And it, like, it goes back a long time. And I'm yeah. like, I kind of don't really, I'm not happy about that because there were some really poignant moments this character had with one of my other favorite characters. Right. And I feel like that has been lost. Um, I'm like, I'm not happy about it. But I mean, you know, it's they did that in the comics, too, where it's like when they actually did the secret invasion, the scrolls had been impersonating certain characters for. Like that time. And so, yes, unfortunately, it does kind of cheapen those moments. And I think they do that because then it does make the betrayal of the invasion itself, like hit that much harder because it's like, oh, man, this has been going on for a long time. And like, yeah, let's let's do something about these scrolls. Yeah. So. But yeah, I heard that and I was like, oh man. And I think it makes sense because I think that character um, is like the one character that was also in the Secret Invasion comic storyline and was also oh, a scroll okay. in that one, I think. It's been a minute since I read. I like I, I think I read it as it was coming out and that would have put it in like 2007 or 8, somewhere around there. Maybe I picked it up in a trade right after it, but it still have been like 15 years ago that this comic storyline was coming out. And, you know, I, I'm, I may not remember it entirely. I certainly didn't go back and reread to right. prepare for a show that I decided I wasn't going to watch, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I know that, uh, that Kristen is thinking of getting Disney plus for like the last few weeks of summer break for the, for the kids to like binge a couple things before they go back to school. I don't know if I'll watch Secret Invasion if she does sign up. Um, I, I I don't think that I will. Um, I'll probably watch season three of Mando. Um, oh yeah. Just in case, you know, because because Ahsoka, Ahsoka's coming out next month. We're we're less than a month away from Ahsoka, and that one I'm actually excited for because I like Ahsoka and I like all the characters from Rebels that are supposed to be in this. And Thrawn is like one of my absolute favorite Star Wars characters of all time. Like Thrawn's a top three Star Wars character for me. So, uh, and the fact that they actually are using the voice actor to play Thrawn, I feel like that's going to give us like a really great continuity of the performance for that character. And I'm really excited about that. Um, and it'll kind so. of bring. Yeah, we'll the see. story move the story along the you know away from how Rebels ended, which I was not prepared for. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, man, so, yeah, yeah. I'd like to see the show, too. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. Um, I, I was hoping to have, like, a better segue um, into our top five, and I was trying to find one for Star Wars, but I couldn't think of one, um, at least not for Ahsoka and Rebels, because, unfortunately, there are no, like, siblings in that. I was trying to figure out a way to pivot to Luke and Leia, and they'd be like, speaking oh. of siblings, um, so we'll <laughs> just jump into it <laughs> after okay. this really sad attempt. Um, so Ariana, you and I, we're brother and sister. We're siblings. We've, we've talked about, we've talked about, uh, you know, our childhoods and, and how we grew up together as siblings loving Marvel comics and loving X-Men. And of course we shared that with our older sister, Janae as well. Um, and so I thought it would be fun to do a top five because one thing that X-Men has, a lot of our family drama, family storylines. And of course, at the heart of all of that is siblings. So I thought it would be fun if we compared a top five of just our favorite X-Men siblings. I think I, I said like mutant siblings, uh, but if you cheated and did something other than mutant siblings, I don't really care. Um, mostly just siblings that are like associated with X-Men. That That's really all I was going for. Um, and I know that you've prepared a top five. Of course, I have also prepared a top five. So I think uh, we could probably just jump in and, and compare our lists. What do you think? Okay. Nice. All right. So why don't you go ahead and kick us off with your number five, and then, of course, I'll go, and, and we'll just go back and forth until we've discussed all of our five picks each. Okay. So my number five was um – Cyclops and Havoc. Um, yeah, I mean, Cyclops, like I said, his personality really annoys me, so he's not really my favorite character. But that doesn't mean that, you know, him as his mutant abilities and all that aren't awesome. So I put Cyclops and Havoc on there now. Obviously, I know a little bit more about Cyclops, and that's kind of true on most of my um, list, is I'll know more about one of the siblings as opposed to the other. But Havoc's pretty cool. Um and I liked, of course, we saw a little bit of, I think we kind of touched a little bit uh, on um, Cyclops' family in this show. Um, or maybe it was just we've read the comics so we knew who certain people were. I don't know. <laughs> but that's my number five. Um, and they're, I don't know. I I just think that maybe Havoc is a little bit more maybe in less control than Cyclops seems to be with his powers. Um, and I think it's kind of cool that even if they got in a fight, they'd really just, it'd be like a tie. I think that's kind of cool. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's who I picked for my number five, two brothers. Nice. Cyclops <laughs> and Havoc. I like, I dig it. I dig it. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're right though. Like they do kind of go into Scott's familial backstory in this series a little bit. Uh, it's weird because, they introduce Havoc in one of the episodes. There's like an episode where the X-Men encounter X-Factor and they fight them. And and like you mentioned, like the, if they were to fight, it would kind of be a tie because their powers don't work on each other. And they showed that in the episode, but they never acknowledged that they were brother and brother. Like right. never came up that uh, they were both Summer's brother, you know, like none of that ever happened. We do see Cyclops' relationship with Corsair, his father. Right. We developed that quite a bit over the course of, like, seasons three and four. 
Uh, we get some really good episodes there. And I think in one of the flashback sequences where they're actually like in the plane and everything, we see that Cyclops has a brother named Alex, but they never really like they never ever take the time to connect the dots. Maybe I'm I'm hoping that like maybe in the finale in graduation day, when all of these characters show up, they're like, hey, brother, you know, or something like that. Uh, <laughs> but we'll see when we get there. I, I have no idea. It's been so long since I've actually seen that. I'm, I'll, I'll get to watch it here real soon. Um, but I, I'm kind of curious, like, if if any of them show up and, like, they acknowledge it, at least kind of like, hey, bro, you know, like something like that. But, yeah, unfortunately, it's one of those ones where they never really kind of go into to detail about that. X-Men Evolution does a pretty good job um, displaying their portraying them as brothers. Uh, they they know of each other. They get along. They have like a really great like brotherly relationship and everything. Um, so that's nice. But yeah, in this show, they, they kind of don't really go into a whole lot of detail there, which is too bad. Um, so for my number five, I, I was going through all of my list and I have all these really great like sets of siblings and stuff. Some of them, there's there's three siblings and like one of them right. is bad and all that. Um, but it's usually like a one-off where it's like, oh, this one sibling is bad that one time. And we don't really have too many sequences where both of the siblings are villains. But there's one that comes to mind, particularly if you're a fan of like early 90s non-X-Men X-Books. And that is Thumbelina of the Mutant Liberation Front and Slab of the Nasty Boys. So... Thumbelina is a mutant who can grow and shrink and slab is just like very strong. He's just kind of like this slap jawed okay. idiot. Who's kind of strong. Um, but they go, the mutant liberation front, they go up against X force all the time. The nasty boys, they were first introduced in Peter David's initial X factor run, which I covered at length back in March talking GC on this feed. So if you haven't listened to that, I definitely recommend that you check it out. Not just you, Ariana, but all of my listeners, uh, because I absolutely adore Peter David's initial X Factor run. And uh, in that run, they introduced the Nasty Boys. Slab, of course, is one of those. Slab, we've actually seen in episodes of this series. Uh, we saw him in season two when the, when Mr. Sinister was the main villain. The X-Men went up against them a couple of times. And he's the like bald dude that wears like the brown clothes that's like really strong. That's Slab. Okay. And then, um, his sister is Thumbelina. So uh, I went with Thumbelina and Slab as my number five group of siblings. I like that Thumbelina. Who's <laughs> 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 um, well, should I go to my number four? Yep. Okay. And this is another, um, you know, two siblings where I know more about one, you know, um, one sibling over the other. And that would be Psylocke and Captain Britain. And I think they have other siblings, don't they? I just, I'm not really familiar with anyone but Psylocke, but I think it's awesome that her brother is Captain Britain. <laughs> so I put them at my number four. <laughs> um, nice. Yes, they, they do have, there's one other brother named Jamie. Okay. I mean, uh, I like know nothing about their other brother. I don't think, unless I never realized it's their brother. Um, and I don't know much about Excalibur except that some of my favorite X Men seem to kind of go back and forth with that team. Um, 
but mm. um, obviously I love Psylocke. Um, and then Captain Britain, I just, um, he's basically like, I don't know, like, um, basically like our, uh, how do I explain it? Uh, I don't want to say, but I guess he's like, um, he's like Cap, right? Only he's the UK version and gets his powers from a different source, obviously. So, um, yeah, so... So Captain Britain gets his powers from this place called Otherworld, which yeah. is in the Omniverse. Um, and uh, it's like he draws the power directly from, like, England. Uh, like, England in- itself is, like, what is his power source. But, yeah, he's got those – he gets those powers almost – like, if he were to leave England, his powers wouldn't be as strong. But if he's fighting, like, in the country, then he's, like, really powerful. Um, yeah, he's cool. Yeah. Um, um, Psylocke's still cooler, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, that's my number four. Um, but I thought it was really cool and looking into that, um, finding uh, a little bit more things about Captain Britain. I mean, yeah. And Excalibur. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Excalibur's good. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorites. I mean, like, it's kind of hard to go back and go from like 1975 to 1992 throughout the entire Claremont run and not find a good X book. Even the ones that he didn't write are excellent. Yeah. Um, and so early Excalibur, it's good stuff. It's really good. And then eventually he leaves the book, but then Alan Davis, the artist actually takes over the writing and the art and it stays just as good. Uh, there's kind of like this, limbo period in between Claremont leaving before Davis comes back and takes over the book where it's kind of like hit or miss. But those two particular runs, the Claremont Davis and then just the Allen Davis run of Excalibur from the late eighties into the early nineties, that is excellent stuff. It's a really weird book. Uh, It's definitely the weirdest of all of the X titles at that time, but that makes it so much more fun. And then like you said, uh, you might not be super familiar with Excalibur, but like a lot of your favorite X-Men characters are on that team. It's like Nightcrawler, Kitty Pride, uh, Phoenix yeah. is on there. Eventually, as it gets later on in the run, like Colossus joins the book, Wolfsbane joins the team, Doug Locke, which is, I'm not, that's a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a really good, it's a really good series. I love Excalibur. I don't know if I love Excalibur or Peter David's X factor more, but like those are two of the books that are right up there. Like when those books are happening, they might even be, well, probably not, but well, maybe, I don't know. They might even be better than the uncanny X-Men books that were coming out at that same time. Maybe not. I don't know that I I might be crossed the line there, but either way, (laughs) like, but they're excellent. It's It's such good stuff. So Brian and Elizabeth Braddock, excellent choice. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> for my number four, I went with a couple of characters that are lesser known because these characters, they've never really been on an X-Men team. They've been on like the younger. Ver- I know that one of them eventually did like cross over into the main team. And then another one was like a teacher at the Institute at one point. But they both started as like kind of like these plucky members of the teenage group of the time. And that is Sam and Paige 
Guthrie. So Sam Guthrie, of course, is Cannonball of the New Mutants and X-Force, and Paige Guthrie is Husk from Generation X from the 90s. So um, these are great characters. I love both of these characters, um, especially Sam in the pages of New Mutants. He has some interesting stuff happen to him in X-Force. Of course, I really love Husk throughout the entire Gen X run, um, and so I wanted to put them on this list. Of course, there are also other Guthrie's. There's like nine. Oh, wow. <laughs> I may be exaggerating a little bit, but there's quite a few um, Guthrie brothers out there. I know that there's at least one other sister and one other brother. All four of them are mutants. The The other brother's name is Icarus. Unfortunately, he died at one point in in one of the comics, and I forget the other sister's name. And I don't know if maybe she was just like an Age of Apocalypse only one, or if she was actually a sister in the main continuity. Um, but her power, she was like able to grow really big and like be indestructible. Um, so yeah, I went with uh, Sam and Paige Guthrie, Cannonball and Husk. I like that. Those are some characters that are um, probably not as well known. That's pretty cool. Um, so I guess we're on to number three. <laughs> now, yep. for me, this is kind of, they're siblings, but I think one is an adoptive sibling, and I'm going to have to go with Nightcrawler and Rogue. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously they were team members and friends first before, the, I think, before Nightcrawler found out who his mother was. But, um, yeah. you know, Mystique is basically their mother, so... Kind of a cheat, I guess. But that's who I put for my number three is Nightcrawler and Rogue. And um obviously Rogue knows who at this point who her you know, she knows who her parents are, they're in Mississippi or whatever, but I just I love Nightcrawler. I think I've gone on and on about Rogue, so um you know how much I love her. <laughs> but that's who I picked for number three. And also Nightcrawler is another one that kinda goes around with the different teams, you know. So uh, I just think that's kind of cool that the the mystique um, connection. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, and and in this episode, not this episode, in this series, there is an episode that does deal with their their familial relationship, which is really great. Uh, it also brings in like Great and Creed, uh, who would be Nightcrawler's brother, um, right? Half brother, at least. Um, so there, there's, there's that as well. And I love that they, they take the time to do that because it's such a fun twist, you know? It's like such an interesting take on, on the sibling relationship that we don't, we, the only other pair of like adoptive siblings that I can think of is like Xavier and Juggernaut. And right. you wouldn't necessarily call that like a healthy relationship, right? Um, but like the Nightcrawler and Rogue relationship, uh, especially in light of like who Mystique is to both of them, uh, is a really interesting, like, familial bond. And, of course, they also go into really great detail about that in X-Men Evolution. Uh, I'm, like, plugging the heck out of X-Men Evolution in this episode, but they really do focus on the on the characters. Like, there's great action in X-Men Evolution and a great overall story, but, like, they really do let the, the character relationships uh, take like forefront in a lot of the episodes and drive it. And so we get some really great stuff between Nightcrawler and Rogue in that series 
as well. So I love to see them on your list, and I don't think it's cheating at all. Like they're totally, okay. <laughs> uh, there's definitely a sibling relationship between the two of them, and and that's awesome. And of course, like it's Nightcrawler and Rogue, like two of the best X Men hands down. Like both right. of them are in my top five. X-Men overall, so I'm going to allow that, of course. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and n- number three for me is uh, the same as your number four. So I have uh, Brian and Elizabeth Braddock in here as well. Um, and of course, like I mentioned, they do have, there is a third sibling named Jamie. Jamie, of course, is a bad guy, and uh, Brian and Elizabeth are, are good guys. Um there's a lot of like really interesting stuff they're doing in the current run of X-Men where they've resurrected Jamie and they've kind of convinced him to be on the side of good sort of. And like, he's agreed to play nice, but he's really doing some evil stuff like behind the scenes, but he took over the kingdom. Well, yeah, it was, you know, bad guy, bad guys are going to bad guy. Like that's just how it is. Uh, but he's he's taken over kingship of the kingdom of Avalon, and Brian has actually lost the ability to be Captain Britain, and so he was given the power to be Captain Avalon by Jamie. And so right now in the comic books, Betsy is Captain Britain, and then Brian is Captain Avalon, and Jamie is the king of Avalon. And it's made for some interesting stuff. I'm not caught up on it because I'm still like three years behind of current X-Men stuff. Um, but that's where, that's where it was the last time I read anything and I was loving it. Like it, it was, it was a lot of fun. I was really loving that series of Excalibur. And, uh, I mean, I, like you said, I, it's, I, Psylocke's awesome. Like I'm, I'm going to like, I'm going to stand Betsy regardless of, of who she is, uh, yeah. whether she's Psylocke, Captain Britain, like I'm going to love her. And I like Brian. Like, I know that Brian gets kind of a bad rep for being, like, an alcoholic and kind of like, a you know, the toxic masculinity and all that with his relationship with Megan. But a lot of characters in comics, like, they grow, but then they devolve. And then they grow, and then they devolve. You know, like, that's that's the thing with comics. It's this long, ongoing series that never ends. And so you have to keep pushing the characters forward and backwards and stuff. I feel yeah. like Brian has mostly moved forward and grown since his earliest appearances to the point where, like, when he first appeared, he was this super flawed character. And now he's, he's like a really good, like, he's, he's moved past his flaws. He's, he's made the changes to become like a better person and it's stuck. And I, I just, I like seeing stories like that because in the medium of comic books where you constantly have to push characters back to build them back up, otherwise it, you can't really keep selling comics. Um, he's one of the few people that's like actually had just a good arc and is like in a good place after, you know, 30 years of, of 40 years of, of being in comics. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I still don't know enough about him, but um, the stuff that I did read, yeah, I mean, it's nice to see that. I'm all for that. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so that takes us to our deuces. Okay, for number two, I have Colossus and Magic. Um. Colossus, I've always liked. I've always been familiar with him. And then I, I did have like a comic book card of magic. (laughs) 
but I never mm, really yeah. knew too much about her. Um, but when I was reading up on her, it said she was an interdimensional teleporter. I was like, that's pretty awesome. And obviously, like a mage, like, um, I don't think she's as strong as, say, like Scarlet Witch, for example, but she could be pretty scary. Um, she's pretty, she could be pretty powerful. Um, but that's my number two. Colossus and Magic. Nice. Nice. And both are characters that we've had in live action. So Magic was uh, one of the characters in the New Mutants movie. And then, of course, we've had Colossus in the X-Men movies as well as the Deadpool movies. So um, (laughs) some fun there. Because some of these, like, obviously, we haven't had Paige or Thumbelina or Slab or Brian, you know, in in live action yet. Um, So Colossus and Magic, that's awesome. I also have Colossus and Magic as my number two. Cool. I love Colossus. I've always loved Colossus. He's so cool. His power is awesome. He's just like this big, gigantic, like nice, gentle person. Just this like just wonderful dude. Right. But then his mutant power is like, hey, I could either just be so strong that I destroy everything or I'm also like I can't really be hurt because my skin's metal. So like I can also take on like the guardian role. Uh, which I think is just something that fits Colossus so well. And then at the same time, you have Magic, who's just the complete opposite of Colossus. She's just like this offensive powerhouse. And I loved her in the New Mutants comic series. And then I loved her again when they finally brought her back. I think the one that we actually have in the comics right now is not the original Magic. It's like Magic from a different dimension or a different timeline that came into ours. But, like, her her origin story is, like, super tragic, uh, just, like, this awful thing that happens to her. And then, of course, she gets de-aged back to a child, and then she dies of the legacy virus. Like, just this horrible, tragic story. Uh, and yet she just stays so cool. She's just, like, this ridiculously down-to-earth character, despite the fact, like you said, she's this interdimensional teleporter. She's, like, the leader of Limbo, for crying out loud. She's, like, half-demon, and she's, like, this really powerful sorceress. And then she's just, like, a regular person. Like, a lot of her really great character moments are her just, like, being a regular person, especially when she hangs out with Kitty. Um, so I, I love magic. Magic is one of those characters, like she never seems to make it on my top five or like top 10 lists, but she should because she's so ridiculously cool. She also reminds me a little bit of, um, just in the end, um, like you mentioned limbo and stuff of Raven. She reminds mm-hmm. from the Teen Titans. <laughs> oh yeah. Just the just the limbo stuff. Some of the darker stuff. Um, it, that's what I thought of. I mean, they're totally different. Uh, but I don't know. I just found that amusing. Yeah, really similar. But magic has a cool sword too. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> so she gets the slight edge over over Raven. Yeah, um, and and you mentioned that she's not quite as powerful as Scarlet Witch. Um, And I don't think that she is. She's not as powerful as Scarlet Witch or like Agatha Harkness. And I don't think she's as powerful as Doctor Strange or even like Clea. But I think there was a series, and I I may be misremembering this, but I thought there was a series where Doctor Strange took in a bunch of like young sorcerers and was like training them in their power. And like in one of the alternate realities from that storyline, magic was the Sorcerer Supreme 
in, mm-hmm. in one of those storylines. Um, again, I could be misremembering because it's not one that I read, uh, okay. not a series that I read, but like I, I thought I saw something somewhere. Someone was talking about the fact that like in one of the storylines, magic had actually become like the Sorcerer Supreme. And I was like, man, that's awesome. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Cool. All right. So number ones. Oh, I'm going first. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch is my number one. Um, I just, I love both, I like both of these characters. I always liked Scarlet Witch, but more so both of them now that I've watched um, WandaVision and um, obviously the the films. Um, I think that Wanda, obviously in the comic books, I like her a little bit better. Um, but the movie, she does pretty well. Uh, and I just like their their story. I mean, they start off in the Brotherhood, and I know the Scarlet Witch is never an X-Men, um, but Quicksilver was, I think. That's what I was asking you earlier, if it had to be strictly just X-Men. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, I've ta- I think I've talked about Scarlet Witch, how I just like to see, I mean, it's just many horrible things happen to her, but um, how strong she is. And then Quicksilver, obviously, um, I think it's pretty cool when I was reading up on him, it said that he could... Um, is it, is it like slow down time? Kind of like similar to the Flash, maybe, um, with how fast he is and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that that just the two of them and they're twins. That's kind of cool. Um, yeah. I just like both of them. I just like how they started off as villains and kind of just kept going up and um, uh, just their where they end up. Avengers, X Men, you know, all that stuff. I think X Factor might be in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Quicksilver was a big member of the X Factor run that I love. Like he he's kind of this dude who ends up joining the team and being like throughout that whole run. And that was when I started liking Quicksilver. Was uh, was like rereading that because I've I've never really I, I wouldn't say that I've never really liked him, um, but I it was kind of like, I didn't really have an opinion on him. You know, it's, he just kind of the, the few stuff I've read, like early X-Men stuff. He's just kind of like this arrogant dude who I don't really like him all that much. Um, and then in in like ultimates, you kind of like Scarlet witch, but Pietro's kind of a jerk. Um, and then, uh, I read the, the Peter David X factor run in its entirety. And I'm like, dude, I love Quicksilver. (laughs) Like I really love this character. Uh, and then, of course, in like in the live action X Men movies, Quicksilver's got some really great scenes as yeah. well. Scarlet Witch is a character that I've I like when it comes to the comics. I I really consider her an Avengers character right. more so than an X Men character. Like like you said, you know, Quicksilver at least as, joins an X team at one point, um, and he seems to be more heavily tied with Magneto, whereas like Scarlet Witch seems to be just more on the like once her and Quicksilver join the Avengers. She becomes like an Avengers character. She marries an Avenger. She has fake kids with a with an Avenger. I get maybe something like, along those lines. And as an X Men fan, I know that it's two, 2023 now, and this storyline took place in like 2004 or 2005 maybe. But I still haven't forgiven Wanda for no more mutants and decimation and all that. I still haven't forgiven her for that. Apparently, she had an arc where they kind of forgave her. And it's like, she doesn't really need the forgiveness. It's not really her fault. Um, she had a mental breakdown because of this like 
unimaginable tragedy, and then she was manipulated by Quicksilver. Like, I should really be blaming Quicksilver for this. Um, but I, I still, I'm like, nah, I'm never going to forgive Wanda. I don't care if, like, Liz Olsen is awesome and does a really great job with Wanda in the MCU. I don't care. <laughs> I cannot forgive Wanda. So for that reason, they didn't make my top five. But I love seeing him as your number one. <laughs> well, it's like that. It's so horrible what she did. Just like Dark Phoenix. It's so horrible the things that they do. Yeah. But at the same time, it's what makes them so cool to me. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, <laughs> that they can do that. Um, uh, yeah. I, I love the... I love. Um, them. <laughs> yeah, I think really the, the only thing that kept him off my list is right after the Age of Ultron movie, Marvel is like, all right, we're going to retcon Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Like, they're no longer Magneto's kids. They're not mutants. They're just like people that were evolved by the high evolutionary. Um, and so that whole thing is gone. And that, I don't know, that just makes me mad. <laughs> like, I know that they were, you know, mostly in the Avengers and mostly in Fantastic Four and all that, but like they have so many strong ties to the X books, and I felt right. like that was just, I don't know, like underhanded, you know, of just kind of like a slap in the face to to X Men fans, and it was like we didn't need to do that. Like right. this doesn't change the the MCU versions of these characters or anything. Like we can have them side by side, but oh well, <laughs> that's that's really a Marvel thing and not a, a those characters thing. Right. Cool. So, yeah, I like seeing them on, on your list. That's excellent. And uh, that can take us into my number one. And my number one is the same as your number five. So I don't know if you noticed, Ariana, but every other set of siblings that I've listed is a brother and a sister. Colossus and Magic, uh, Brian and Elizabeth, Sam and Paige, Thumbelina and Slab. Those are all brothers and sisters. And I have sisters, but I don't have brothers. So, you know, brother and sister relationships kind of stand out to me because I'm like, hey, I've got sisters. I can relate to these these relationships. But here's the thing. You have a brother, so you know how awesome that is. But I don't have one, and I've always wanted a brother. And so, And so I'm very jealous of the brotherhood between Scott and Alex. And so they make my number one of X-Men siblings, Scott and Alex Summers. I mean, the the leader of the X-Men, the leader of X-Factor, awesome powers, tragic backstories. Yeah, they don't always see eye to eye. Um, there's probably a pun in there somewhere, um, you know, but like, you know, it's, they, they don't always have like the best brotherly relationship, but they still are in each other's corner when it counts. And so I went with uh, with Scott and Alex Summers, mostly because I'm super jealous. <laughs> you know, I see, like, how close Trevor and Jacob are, and I see how close Max and Landy are, and I'm like, man, I wanted a brother. <laughs> yeah, there's some – yeah, I, I knew I knew Cyclops, and I knew they'd be on your list. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, they belong on the list, for sure. Yeah. They they actually have a third brother, but he sucks, and I don't like to talk about it. Possibly even oh. a a fourth <laughs> half brother. Even uh, there's all kinds of stuff going on there. But but yeah, I, I don't I don't like to talk about. It. We don't talk about Vulcan. Um, okay. <laughs> so so we got Scott and Alex number one for me. Very good. <laughs> 
So that was fun. Like, I actually had a good time going back through and, like, thinking, ooh, who are the brothers and sisters? There were a lot that I ended up leaving off my list because, like, even if you were to just Google, like, X-Men and then siblings, there's a lot of stuff that pops up. Like, there are a lot of brothers and sisters out there. Like, we could, I could have gone with, like, Feral and Thorn. Uh, there's a couple others who were, like, in the uh, in the Morlocks that are brother and sister. There's a few others that show up in, in, in various other books and things later on. And yeah, like uh, I, I, I had a good time thinking of these. Of course we had a little bit of overlap. I think we had three overlaps, but you know, it's, we're going to have overlap because these are the best characters and they happen to be right. siblings. So we had it kind of baked in, but yeah, it was cool seeing that uh, we had a couple on here that, uh, that didn't overlap. So that was fun. And uh, I think, I think at that point, we can probably move into our episode breakdown. What do you say? Okay, sounds good. So for today's episode, we are covering X-Men, the animated series, season five, episode five, The Fifth Horseman. So this episode was written by Steve Melching and David McDermott. And it originally aired on February 8th, 1997. Um, so uh, we have directing from Frank Squillis and showrun by Eric Lee Walder, adapted for television by Eric Lee Wald. And so, Ariana, why don't you kind of kick us off with uh, this opening scene here? Um, I'll try my best. I'm not sure of this mutant's name. Is it Longshot or is it somebody else? Do we even know? Um, I I have no idea who this guy is. Okay. Well, they show a, a young man who's a mutant and he's being chased um, by, I, I just, because you don't find out, I didn't find out right away who they were. Um, I knew that they were villains and they were mutants, but they wanted this young man <laughs> and they're, they're chasing him. There's like, I think there's four of them. And they're chasing him through the mountains, and he comes to a cliff and kind of, like, blasts the guy closest to him, and he gets away. Um, and that's kind of the first really quick scene. Um, the villains are in black. Um, yeah, I don't know who he was, um, but they wanted him um, for a purpose. And, and then it quickly shows after that, I believe... Another mutant um, who seems to be inside a temple of some kind. Am I moving too fast? Or it seemed really fast to me. Yeah, no. I mean, it's it, it was a really quick opening sequence. There was like hardly any uh, dialogue or anything like that. It's just the, right. this kid's like running through, and they're they're chasing him. And even I didn't recognize like any of them. One of them is Caliban. I know that who in the comics was originally a Morlock and then even a horseman of apocalypse. The other ones I didn't recognize. They're like, there's a dude that has like a psionic whip and then another one that has like a psionic boomerang. Um, and then just another guy that's like big and strong looking. And he kind of looks like a character named blockbuster. Uh, but I don't know if that's 
who that was supposed to be. And I don't think any of them are named except Caliban later on in the episode. So, I mean, I was kind of right there with you where here I am watching this episode with all of my X-Men knowledge. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know who these guys are. Yeah. I, uh, I was like, maybe Ryan will know. <laughs> I'm like, those are the bad guys. I got that down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then they showed Cortez who, um, right away because, you know, he's dressed differently and, and is a little bit older, I associated him with, this must be the main guy. <laughs> but they show him in what looks yeah. like a temple, and I say that because there's a huge statue of Apocalypse in there. Um, and he's talking, basically, with this statue. Um, and um, and he's telling Apocalypse, the boy, that's what they call him. So they don't even, no one knows his name. Um, the boy that, the yeah. boy that was being chased, um, he'll be found and ready for sacrifice. And, um, and then he leaves, I mean, it's pretty quick. Um, there's like some fire and everything. It looks, you know, really cool. Um, and then Cortez walks outside of the temple and there's a bunch of people out there and he speaks to the crowd of people. And I don't remember his exact words, but, um, it makes it clear that they've been there for generations and they've worshiped apocalypse for quite a while. Um, and they're possibly waiting for his return or wanting to know what's going on. Yeah, it, it seems like maybe they do believe that uh, the return of Apocalypse is, like, at hand. Right. Um, they, they definitely kind of seem like fanatical followers. It kind of reminds me of Clan Akaba in the comic books, which was a clan of, well, Apocalypse's followers in, like, ancient Egypt um, that are, like, waiting for the return of Apocalypse. So it kind of has that, but this is more, like, South American. And I right. think eventually we find out that this is taking place, like, in the Andes Mountains. Um, so we know that it's in South America, not Egypt. Um, you know, it's like across an entire ocean and everything. Uh, but it's kind of cool to see that, like, all of these ancient cultures – kind of have their own, like, it just shows you, like, how powerful Apocalypse was if you right. had that big of a hold on all of these different civilizations across the world. Uh, it, it's pretty cool. I mean, and obviously, in that time frame, he must have been, I mean, we're talking about generations, um, the most powerful thing they'd ever seen or heard about at this point. So I could see how... I guess I could see how they would worship him and see, and then it just kind of goes down in tradition after all those years. But when it first started, you could kind of see how that would happen. Obviously, and he's apocalypse, so that's his goal to rule everyone anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it's kind of cool too because in the the last storyline that we had for Apocalypse, which was, you know, the, the, the big, massive, beyond good and evil four-part storyline. I think you helped me break down the first two episodes of that one. Um, was was that you, that you, you were on for the first two of Beyond Good and Evil? I don't remember what episodes. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like trying to play. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that was the last that she was on was those two. Um, but like during that storyline, uh, not Colossus cable as cable and the X-Men managed to go back in time and like destroy this pyramid that belonged to apocalypse. And so by changing that history, like that kind of made uh, this, this like temple in the Andes 
probably Apocalypse's main stronghold, you know, his main temple, like, which is why he set up Cortez there, why we have these generations of people following him, uh, because his, his pyramid in Egypt was destroyed long time ago now. They changed that timeline. And so he's like, whatever, like, I have pyramids and temples, like, around the world, probably. So right. he just moves to the next one. Um, I just I, I like that aspect where um, I don't particularly think that this story needed to be told, to be quite honest. But I like that they at least they don't necessarily acknowledge it or straight up say it. But the fact that this is not set in ancient Egypt, it, it's like it, it's just perfect sense. It just molds perfectly to the continuity that we have of this series without actually like directly mentioning the fact that like, oh, yeah, we, we don't have them in in Egypt anymore because Cable and the X-Men like destroyed that pyramid thousands of years ago because they time traveled. And so instead apocalypse is like, all right, cool. I'll just, I'll head over to South America instead. No big deal. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's playing the long game, you know, they're just all trying to catch up and change things. And he's got all these other, you know what I mean? Uh, he's probably mm-hmm. had this, um, set up for just as long <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. So, yeah, so that's our first couple of sequences as we we get introduced to this kid, and then we see that this is going to be an apocalypse story with Cortez and Apocalypse trying to figure out a way to get um, Apocalypse, like, a new body. And so from there, we actually change in and uh, we connect with our X-Men for this story. And it's another Beast and Jubilee Story. We actually had this season start off with Beast and Jubilee kind of teamed up, and then Beast takes over that episode. That's the two-part Phalanx episode. And then now we have another one where it's Beast and Jubilee are kind of on an adventure together. This time we actually see that they just so happen to be in the Andes, uh, right. and they're doing some sort of like an excursion. Jubilee's trying to speak Spanish. And she's able to get like directions and some supplies. And so her and Beast jump in their truck and they're heading along this, this way looking for something. And they come across like a river that is like at the bottom of this major gorge and there's not a bridge to drive across. Jubilee almost doesn't notice. <laughs> um, and they, she kind of stops at the last minute and her and Beast get out and they're like, Oh darn, like, you know, unfortunately, uh, there's no bridge to get across and beast is like, Oh wait, look over there is like, there's a footbridge at least, you know, there's, there's a bridge that we can walk across. And so they start to make their way towards that bridge. I think at some point Caliban senses that there's mutants nearby. And that's why Caliban and the, or no, we actually, so when beast and Jubilee start making their way to the bridge, and then we actually go check in with Caliban um, as he comes in to explain to Cortez that the the boy that they were following um, escaped, that they, they weren't able to capture that boy. And Cortez gets really mad and he's calling him like an idiot. And he like hits him with this ray that like depowers him. Not completely. It just, it's, it's worth pointing out that like Caliban in the past has been this like skinny kind of scrawny Morlock character but the yeah. Caliban that we're seeing is like this big muscular, like monster looking dude. And 
Cortez like hits him with this blast and it reverts him from that big strong version down to like the weak old Caliban that we've seen before. And he tells Caliban like you failed me, like this is it. I'll give you one last chance and and then like and then you're done. Like we'll I'll just, you know, like you're we'll, I'll return to the Morlocks and you'll be nothing pretty much. Um and so Caliban is like no, please like you, you know, give me one last chance. So he repowers him up to like the big muscular monster thing and tells him like, all right, this is your last chance. And so he then senses beast and Jubilee, I think at that point. Um, and so that's when they're like crossing the bridge and then Caliban and I think the other hounds arrive. Yeah. Right. Right before they arrive, they come, they come across beast and Jubilee. I think they find the temple because he's beast is translating what it says, and they kind of figure oh, yes. out that the temple is dedicated. First, he thinks the end of times, and then he realizes, oh no, it's dedicated to apocalypse. So now they know, um, maybe they shouldn't be there. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, yes. and then the, the the group Caliban and his group show up, like right after that. Yeah, that yeah, it's yes, you're right. That's exactly right. Um, so. Caliban like senses them and so they go and then as they're making their way there, yeah, we see Beast kind of translating that thing and realizing like, oh dear, <laughs> like yeah. this is a temple to apocalypse, like oh 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 crap. Um and then Caliban's like, That's right, and we're gonna kidnap you guys. Um and so yeah, the the Caliban and I think they're referred to as the hounds now. Which makes sense because the way they're dressed and like the markings on their face is totally the hounds from the comics, only the hounds in the comic books, they weren't servants of Apocalypse. They worked for Ahab in, like, the Days of Future Past timeline, um, and they, like, hunted down mutants before the Sentinels kind of took over. Okay. Yeah, so there's a whole thing. And then if you ever watch this, this series, The Gifted, like, the whole first season has to do with the hound program. So it's really interesting stuff. And that makes sense because in this episode, that's what they're doing is they're, they're looking for a specific mutant, but they want a powerful mutant. Um, Yeah. So they, I think once they show up there, they Caliban and Jubilee do recognize each other. Um, Mm -hmm. Yep. um, And uh, you know, all, you know, all heck breaks loose and, um, Beast is fighting him and tells Jubilee to run, which she tries to do, I believe. And that's what gets her in that predicament. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's a, and then it yeah, goes like be- all Indiana Jones style and the bridge gives out, you know, that kind of bridge. <laughs> and so she's hanging yeah, on exactly. the and off the side of the cliff, you know. I think at one point too, she even like shoots one of them with her with her fireworks. But it's, oh, it's like yeah. it's almost an Indiana Jones thing, but not quite. <laughs> like the the cool. I forget which Indiana Jones movie it is. Man, I haven't seen those in a long time. But the one where like the dude has the sword and he's doing all this swinging the sword around and around and around, and then oh. Indy just like pulls out his gun and shoots him. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I think it was the Temple of Doom. I don't know when when they're. On the bridge, and it's that rickety old bridge, just like the one that they cross, the split bridge. And it gives way, and they're all yeah. hanging onto the bridge when it's hanging off the side <laughs> of the cliff. And then Jub- that's yeah. where Jubilee is. <laughs> that's what Jubilee is doing. She's just hanging on. 
Um, I'm not even sure what caused the bridge to collapse. Somebody blasted it, I'm sure. Um, I think the boomerang guy threw his, his like, psionic boomerang, and it, like, sliced part of the bridge, and that's why it fell. Because I think the other two hounds, the, like, big strong one and the whip dude, those are the ones that, like, the beast is fighting. And so that left Caliban and the boomerang dude to fight Jubilee. And then, of course, you know, the Caliban and Jubilee recognize each other. And so boomerang dude like cuts the bridge and the, yeah. And so, so Jubilee falls and, and she's hanging there like Indy and everything. Yeah. And, um, Caliban saves her and, um, pulls her up and I don't know. Did they said they must've subdued beast cause he's still there. Um, and then um, they start calling Jubilee the vessel. A good thing you saved the vessel or, for the sacrifice and all this, you know, weird, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was watching this episode with the boys and they were like, dad, this is a pretty dark episode. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it actually is like, it's kind of like this, uh, not necessarily lighthearted or anything, but it's kind of like just this very fast paced, um, like event after event kind of thing. And then you get to the final act and yeah, it's it's pretty dark. What's good, like what's happening uh, and what they're trying to do. Um, but yeah, the the hounds are able, like you said, to subdue Beast and uh, and Jubilee. And yeah, they they take him back to the pyramid. I think it's a pyramid. I was actually I was looking at my notes because I was writing stuff and I couldn't if it was like an actual pyramid or if it was just like a temple thing or something. Um, but they take him back there and it's and it's Cortez. And Beast recognizes him and everything. He's like, Cortez, you know, what are you doing here? And I think it's at this point that uh, Cortez kind of gives them the, his, like, his origin of how he got there. And he was like, I was in space, pretty much, and, like, Apocalypse. And I think this sh- in the sequence, we actually see Deathbird, which makes sense. Because I think in the episode that we last saw Cortez when Apocalypse comes in to talk to him, Deathbird is there. And then, of course, we see that Apocalypse is working with Deathbird in the uh, Beyond Good and Evil. So the Cortez storyline was kind of left open. And so now we're getting the, the he's filling in the gaps for us. And so when Apocalypse found him, he brought him to this temple and like put him in charge of these people as kind of like a last resort in case Apocalypse were to lose the, or get like trapped outside of time or, or whatever, uh, that Fabian Cortez would be put in charge of this temple thing and it would be his job to find Apocalypse a body so that Apocalypse can be reborn. Uh, and so he's telling Beast all this and, and Beast is just like, whoa, that's like, no way, that's, that's crazy. And then, um, he's like, either way, I'm gonna fight you because like I'm an X-Man and you're a bad guy. And so Cortez, like, blasts him with his power and he turns him into like mega beast, right? Like beast gets bigger and stronger and more beast like, and uh, he kind of loses his mind. And um, yeah, that's, I think that's kind of where we're at. Um, Beast like runs off. And then I think at that point, Cortez goes in and tells apocalypse, like I've not failed you again. Like we found you a vessel and apocalypse is like right on, right on. And then we go back to Beast, and he's, like, ran all the way back to their truck. 
for some reason, and he's just like destroying the truck. He's ripping the doors off and like flipping the truck, pulling all the stuff out, throwing it on the ground. And then he stumbles upon like a Polaroid of him in Jubilee. Uh, and he's like, uh oh. And he like starts running back towards the pyramid. <laughs> I couldn't really tell. Like, he obviously was total beast mode and slowed down when he saw the picture. And then I'm like, now where's he going? <laughs> like, I didn't even get. <laughs> he was going back to the temple. I'm like, well, what's he doing? <laughs> I mean, it, you yeah. can't really tell. Oops. Um, yeah, I was like, okay, great. There he goes, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, that makes sense. He was going back to the temple. He, that like, that, big, that picture, like, I don't know, ripped him out of the animal mode he was in, and um, he remembered himself. Yeah, exactly. at least remembered enough that like I used to be that guy and like my that's my friend and she's yeah. still back there or whatever you know. Yeah. And we're like I, I, it feels like we're flying through this episode, but like this is how fast paced the episode is, and like now we're at the very end sequence here, um, like the big the big third act showdown. Um, so why don't you kick us off and like walk us through how this third act goes down? Because like. Cortez and the Hounds, they're finally in possession of a vessel for Apocalypse. Now it's all going to go down. So walk us through this. So I, I, it looks like some kind of ritual, obviously. So they have poor Jubilee kind of tied up to like a this slab thing in the middle of the floor. They're in the back in the temple. And um, Cortez is starting all that, whatever he's going to do. And then... Um, I think Caliban comes in as, to, to just ask him, you know, please, can you choose a different vessel? Um, and he really feels sympathy for Jubilee. You know, he doesn't want this to happen to her. And Cortez uh, kind of laughs at him and insults him. And, um, uh, you know, he just doesn't take take to it too kindly. I don't know. Is this the part where he, like, he tells him you're not worthy to be one of the hounds or something like that? Uh, and um, and he takes actually takes his power away. Yeah, yeah, that's this part that's, right here. I mean, he gets so upset with him asking to, you know, um, free her, free Jubilee. That that's what happened. Yeah, he, he tells him that apocalypse will deal with him. And um, as soon as it starts, I, he's begging. He's like, you know, you please use me and all and all that. And then right, right exactly. Yeah. And then I called it a portal. I don't know if that's what it was, but it seemed to be opening. Like <laughs> it seemed to be there was. Something going on around the statue, you know, like he's apocalypse is on his way um, as this is going on. And then. Yes. Yeah, it's I, <laughs> I, I feel like earlier in the episode, Cortez maybe mentioned something about like, I think it's when he's talking to like the villagers where he's like, we've been waiting for this moment for like the stars to align. Okay. Something like that, which like when I first heard it, I was like, that's lame. Uh, but I think that's what we're seeing. It's like those, like, because she's, like, strapped to this slab, and then stra- above her, it seems like there's an opening in the temple, perhaps. And, like, she's looking up into the sky, and there's, like, those orbs. Th- there's, like, three orbs that are, like, con- convalescing on one another. I don't know if that's the right word. They're, like, aligning together okay. um, to make, like, one. And I think once that happens, we start to see like an astral form or like a spiritual form of apocalypse, like slowly starts to take shape as it like moves closer to the Jubilee. So I think it's some sort of like, I think a portal is fine is like, that's a more than good enough way to describe. It's like a cosmic portal 
is yeah. opening and, and somewhere in time and space, Apocalypse's essence is like coming back to like the mortal plane somehow. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then um, Beast shows up. <laughs> there he yeah. is. <laughs> they finally made it. And I think once he shows up, it's like um, there's a big fight, obviously, because and um, I'm not sure if there's a fight first or as soon as they all kind of start to deal with Beast, that's when Caliban tries to free Jubilee. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Beast shows up and he's still kind of like monster beast. And I think he starts fighting the hounds, right? And so as he's, like, keeping the hounds busy and, and Cortez is yelling, you know, because everything's falling apart, yeah, that's when Caliban, who who you mentioned has been depowered or at least reverted back to just regular Caliban, he yeah. goes over and he's able to free one of Jubilee's arms, and so she fireworks herself free with the other one, uh, and then the two of them are free, and I think maybe she blasts one of the hounds and I, and that's when Cortez is like, no, this like this can't be happening, and and so he finally like reverts Beast back to normal as well because it turns out Monster Beast is actually really powerful and yeah. is like wrecking everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and plus he didn't want to get his butt kicked by, you know, Mega Beast or whatever he is, so we just zapped yeah. him back to regular Beast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then. Obviously, once Jubilee's, um, I think combination of Jubilee being moved from that space and Beast just wrecking everything, everything starts to shake and it, and, um, it just doesn't seem like that's really safe place to be anymore. (laughs) Right. Yeah. They kind of run out of there. I mean, I think Beast wants to go back for, um, Cortez, but they're like, nah, we gotta go. Let's go. And they just run out of there. Yeah, and and the it starts to like crumble down, but then it stops. And Cortez is laying there, and he's like looking up, and, and Apocalypse is is there as well. Um, and Cortez is like, you know, I'm sorry I failed you. The vessel escaped, and he's like, uh, Apocalypse says to Cortez, like, ah, oh, but you didn't fail me. Like you've brought me a vessel. And then Apocalypse like enters into Cortez, and then Cortez turns into Apocalypse. And he's just regular old apocalypse standing in the middle of this, like, crumbled down temple, just, like, laughing. um, Like, it worked. He's back. Ha, ha, ha. You know, like, here he is. Yep, it was a short episode. A lot of stuff happened. (laughs) Yeah, like, (laughs) I mean, like, we didn't leave anything out. We covered every scene, and yet we got through it in, like, 25 minutes. Like, that was... uh, this was a quick episode. Like there was no wasted time. Every character just w- went exactly where they needed to be in order to forward the story. Um, like how lucky were the hounds that Beast and Jubilee just happened to be there? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I didn't look at the runtime of this episode to see if like this one was shorter than the other episodes. But yeah, it just like it was very fast paced. Like. One thing happens after the other, and boom, next thing you know, we're done. Um, like I said, I was watching this one with the boys, and when it got to, like, the sacrifice part, both of them were like, wow, Dad, this is a really dark episode. Like, this is kind of like they're doing human sacrifice and and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah. Um, like, this episode actually ended up being, like, way darker than I expected it to be. 
mean, um, especially for for season five of X Men the animated series, which is considered to be like the least good quality wise. Like this episode had some uh, <laughs> had some darkness to it. Well, I mean, anytime apocalypse is involved, it's dark. <laughs> but also, yeah. I think well, it, it reflects like the different time frames. I mean, when we were growing up, there there wasn't as many. Um, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but there wasn't as many restrictions on things that we watched. You know what I mean? Like we 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 never. I mean, they're right. The boys are right. It is dark. Um, but we would never. We never even thought it twice about it as kids. You know, and we watched yeah. that. <laughs> the first time. Yeah. Um, but it, it's just interesting the difference in time frames. But yeah, anytime Apocalypse is involved, whether it's a short episode or not, or, you know, four episodes or five, it's pretty dark. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a dude who his whole shtick is that, like, he's trying to bring about pretty much the end of the world so that he can rebuild it in his image with only the strong surviving. Like, that in and of itself is like a pretty dark concept, <laughs> like the total annihilation of all of all life, except for the life that he deems worthy. Like, yeah, it's pretty dark. Um, yeah. And it stays that way. Like it's he was kidnapping and like bending mutants to his will and stuff like there's all kinds of dark stuff going on with Apocalypse. Um, but, yeah, the it just like it shocked the kids. They were like, whoa, this like I wouldn't have expected this in an X-Men episode to have like because X-Men Evolution here we go again. Like I'm, I'm plugging this again. Uh, the, they, they have a whole apocalypse storyline at the end of season four. So they only did four seasons of, of X-Men evolution and the main storyline that they start building to like maybe late in season two is uh, the resurrection of apocalypse. And so season four deals with this return of apocalypse, but like, it goes into a lot more detail and like it actually happens and like, yeah, he, he kind of brainwashes mutants and uses them against other mutants and everything. Uh, but like even that one, I, maybe I'm misremembering because I think actually they do try to use rogue as a vessel, but like, I don't know. It, uh, it never really occurred to me like how dark of a, of a, of a, of a concept that is, but like even in the X Men Apocalypse live action movie, they 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 try to use Xavier as like a vessel for Apocalypse. Maybe this is just something that like I've completely gla- glazed over, uh, gl- uh, yeah, glossed over in like the X Men comics. But like stealing a mutant and like pretty much just sacrificing them in, into being like an empty vessel for Apocalypse to to go into. I don't know. Maybe that's a thing that happens all the time, and I just completely missed it. But yeah. I, I, I don't know. I wasn't expecting that in this episode. Uh, I mean, it was good, though, I, even though everything happened so fast. And I like to see the team up of Beast and Jubilee. Um, oddly enough, they never end up on any of my top lists of anything, but I, I like both of them. And they're, they're, it's always um, any story that they're in, um, I enjoy it because they're in the story. <laughs> So that was fun yeah. to see them together, you know. I mean, like you said, they started off the, I guess they started off the season that way, but I like that. I like that team up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Uh, it's not one that we see a lot of other than so far this season. We've actually seen it quite a bit. Maybe it was like the actors, uh, George Buza and Allison Court. Maybe when the show got renewed for this final season, they were the actors that were like, "Hey, yeah, we're our schedule's free," and they they were like, "All right, well, I guess we're putting Beast and Jubilee and everything 
Um, all the other actors have other stuff they're doing. Like at this point, I don't think that we've had a line, a spoken line from Rogue or Gambit, and we've only had like five lines from Gene, and we're halfway through season five now. So this is the fifth episode out of ten of season five, and in the first two episodes that were the Phalanx Covenant, we had we had Gene and we not Gene, sorry, we had Jubilee and Beast early on, and then we had a lot of Wolverine. Um, and we had some Gene and some Cyclops, and I think we saw Gambit and Rogue, but they didn't have any lines. And then it was just Beast pretty much after that until the end where then Gene and Cyclops have like a couple more lines. And it was pretty much just Beast and, and Xavier a little bit. And then in the next two episodes, the Stormfront, um, I don't remember Rogue, Gambit, or Gene in any of those episodes either so yeah like it's not there's not much uh it's like this is the beast and jubilee show now and the very next episode is another like major jubilee episode and i think that one also has like wolverine and beast (laughs) so uh maybe it was just that like the actors that played beast and jubilee had like a whole ton of availability so they just wrote those characters into the show more, but I'm, I'm digging it. Like cartoon beast and cartoon Jubilee are probably my definitive versions of each of those characters. And like, yeah, I like them in the comics too, but this is my favorite Jubilee and this is my favorite beast. And so I'm totally cool having them together. It's fun. Yeah, it is fun. I like when, um, Wolverine and beast work together. too. Um, yeah. I don't know, I just like the, and, and Colossal and Wolverine, but anyway, <laughs> I know they're not in this episode, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I remember, I kind of remember Jubilee, just kind of popular when this show came out, wasn't she? Because I had a bunch of cards of her, I think there was an action figure, mm-hmm. I don't have the action figure, um, so yeah. I think mean, maybe it yeah, was the popularity, they, they I don't know, of that time, from the show. Yeah, I- I know that she she was like one of the more the more recent um, additions to X Men at the time that this show came out, right? So this this show came out late 1992. They started working on it like late 91, early 92. Um, I think it was like October of 91 or something like, or maybe it was or maybe it was only February of 92, and so they were like kind of rushed. But either way, uh, like Jubilee was the newest teenage mutant on the team and she had only been in the comics for a couple of years up to this point. I want to say she was introduced in like 88 or 89. Um, I'm drawing a blank on her first appearance off the top of my head somewhere. I think I want to say like uncanny X-Men 248 or something like that somewhere around there. Um, and so it, w- it was only like 40, 40 more issues by the time this cartoon comes out. Um, so she hadn't been around for very long. And that was like, I say 40 issues, but that was also when Uncanny X-Men was like twice a month. So 40, that's like 20 months. So she's maybe a couple years old that she'd been in the comics, um, when, when they put her in the show. And so yeah, I think this show really did kind of catapult her into stardom in the X-Men. And, and yeah, she, she stars in a lot of the early X-Men comics in the 90s. And like she's popular enough that she's like the headliner of the latest 
X-Men spinoff, which was Gen X in like 94, 95, whenever they did that one. It had to be 94 because it was part of Age of Apocalypse in February 95. So probably at some point in like early 94 is when we got Generation X launching. And yeah, like I think that book was like built on the fact that Jubilee is like the most well-known character in this book. And I think it's because of this cartoon that she was so popular. Yeah, I think so. It, it sounds like, I mean, it sounds vaguely familiar to me. I know you know more about it because you read a lot of the stuff that was coming out. And then I would kind of look at it after you were done looking at it. <laughs> um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it sounds familiar to me. Like that sounds right. Um, I think I, I think I remember liking her. Wasn't one, wasn't the first episode of this show, they're saving Jubilee, one of the first episodes in a mall? I think so. Yep, yeah. The the premiere yeah. episode of this whole series, Night of the Sentinels, parts one and two. Yeah, Night of the Sentinels. Uh, it's the Sentinels are, are tracking down Jubilee. And yeah, there's a mall sequence. There's all kinds of stuff. Eventually she gets kidnapped and the X-Men go save her. That is the premise of the, the premiere of this whole series. So yeah, Jubilee's a major character in this show. So I think that's, maybe that's why, but I liked it. I like the seeing more of her and I like her and Beast together, so. Yeah. I, I like Beast as a teacher. Uh, the concept of Beast, like, being the one to, like, indulge the intelligence, even if it's, um, like with Jubilee, it's very, oh gosh, what's the word? Um, it's, I don't know. It's very like non-conforming to the like traditional role, right? Like the the way that Jubilee approaches things and stuff. Um, but someone like Beast is like there to indulge all of that stuff, you know. Like if she's with Storm, Storm might be like, "Settle down, Jubilee. You're you know you're, you're starting to act a little childish." And like Wolverine would do the same thing. Of course, Cyclops would be like, "Children are supposed to do chores and not have fun." Yeah. Um, no. But Beast <laughs> is like, "Hey, let's yeah like." He, he like almost appreciates her whimsy because she, he just wants to indulge like her. And if she finds something that she's interested in, like Beast is there to be like, let me tell you about it. Let me like teach you about these things. And it's like, I'm going to take advantage of her interest and like use that to educate her and stuff. Like, I really like that approach to the Beast. And it's one that we haven't really seen a whole lot in this series. I feel like, this is really the first time we're actually seeing like Beast and Jubilee together as a as a group, uh, as a partnership, you know. But I I really like it. Um, way back when I, I used to on like, way back in my Twitter days, uh, one of the types of posts I would do is like I would just pitch a random X book that I thought would be cool, um, and one that I pitched was I shouldn't say I pitched it. I just tweeted it. Like it's not like I had Marvel's ear and was like, how about this? Like, it wasn't <laughs> That'd be awesome. like, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't pitching it to anyone. I was just saying like, Hey, this is, a, this would be cool. Um, but one, one book that I, I thought would be cool for beast, it would be grown up beast going on like a road, creating like a road trip school. Um, and I kind of took this concept from, there was a series called Wolverine and the X-Men from like the late, Aughts, like 2000, no, well, probably closer to like 2012, 
somewhere around 2012, 2014, something like that. There was a series called Wolverine and the X-Men. And what, what happened there is Wolverine left the uh, main X-Men that were in San Francisco. And he goes back to New York and he starts a new school called the Jean Grey School. And he brings on different X-Men who also have left Cyclops because they no longer believe in his vision for the future of mutant kind and all that. And, and Beast is one of the ones that goes with Wolverine. And he's a teacher there, and, and it's really fun. He teaches uh, – there's a character named Brew who's like a mutated brood who's actually really smart and great, and I love that character. Uh, he teaches like Kid Gladiator, uh, Kid Omega, um, ID. I forget what her code name was back then. Um, and there's a couple other characters that he kind of like takes on that teacher role too. And I was like, man, I really love this version of Beast because in the comics at the time – they were like slowly turning him into like mad scientist yeah, beast, like which I, I'm not a big fan of that whole idea. Like we have enough mad scientists in X-Men. Right. Uh, Mr. Sinister alone is enough of a mad scientist, but there's plenty. Also we have dark beast. Like we don't need beast right. himself to go dark. Like let beast be like fan- fantastical and whimsical. That's when beast is the best. Um, and so I wanted to see a return to that. And I was like, all right, here's my, my concept is Beast takes a group of like 10 X-Men teenagers on an educational road trip where they, they get in a van and they just drive around the country and they learn about like biology and genetics, but they also learn like physical science and geology and just like all these different things. And it would be Beast as just like getting to nerd out as a scientist teaching all of these young teenagers who are just getting into all kinds of shenanigans because they don't want to learn because show me a teenager that likes to learn um, and I'll be shocked, right? Like, you know, teenagers don't like that. Um, and it would be called, <laughs> I would call the book X-Ed. Okay. That's cute. I like, I mean, the name, <laughs> the name is cute. I like that yeah. idea. Um, like I said, Wolverine and Beast. So that's the school <laughs> That's interesting. Um, yeah. I don't really, I don't, um, it's hard for me to imagine Wolverine opening the school, to be honest. <laughs> but um, <laughs> like you said, they all have their arcs and they go back a little bit and they evolve and they go forward. So, you know, I could see mm-hmm. him naming something after Gene, of course, but that, that part was, is different. But yeah, uh, it, it would be kind of a neat little series to have. Yeah, it would be fun. I think it just, even if it was like a mini series, I just think right. it would be fun. Like yeah. Beast driving around, doing like Bill Nye the Science Guy type stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like teaching them all these things. Um, almost like the science teacher in Stranger Things, you know, where it's like he's just, he just kind of geeks out about stuff whenever he's asked a question about science. He's like, why are you asking this? And they're like, we're curious. And he's like, oh, well, I who am I to stand in the way of curiosity? And then he like goes off. I just, I think like beast, I want to see beast like that. Like I want to see happy beast science beast. I don't want to see like evil Dr. Frankenstein beast. I just, eh, I yeah, don't want that. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. The, the Jean Grey school is a whole thing. I think I've told you about schism before, but it was like, Cyclops is the leader of the X-Men after the whole, like, Messiah complex thing and all that, um, after, like, Second Coming and everything. 
Um, so Cyclops is leading the X-Men and they're in this little island nation called Utopia. That's like off the coast of San Francisco. It's like right there in the Pacific ocean, just right off the, right off the coast. And, uh, Cyclops is like, okay, here's the thing. Like mutants are an endangered species. There's like 250 of us left. Uh, I, we can't afford to let the children not know how to protect themselves and fight. So Cyclops is like slowly militarizing the few teenagers and few children that actually live on the island. And Wolverine is like, whoa, hey, we don't need, like, come on now. Like, we're in the middle of a war. Like, this might be the last generation of mutants. Like, can't we just give them a childhood? Can't we just let them be happy? Like, I'm the freaking Wolverine. Like, if we need to fight, I can fight everyone. Like, it's me. Um you know, like, this is what I'm born to do. So, like, I will keep sacrificing myself so these kids can have a life. And Cyclops is like, yeah, sure. Like, it's, what happens when you and I die? And, like, these kids, what's going to happen to them after that? Um, and so they, there's this mission that they go on, and Cyclops pushes one of the kids into, like, c- killing someone or something. I don't know. It's, something, it's super, like, off-character. I don't know. I, I didn't like it. It felt contrived. And so awesome. Wolverine, like, yeah. And so so Wolverine has, like, this major problem with it where he's like, whoa, you did what? And so he confronts Cyclops, and they're, like, arguing with each other. And, of course, someone brings up Gene. I forget who. Probably Cyclops. They bring up Gene, <laughs> and Wolverine starts walking away, and as Wolverine's walking away, Cyclops is like, she never loved you. <laughs> and Wolverine is like, all right, that's the last straw. So he pops his claws and they like are fighting each other like to the death until I think Rachel shows up and stops them. And at that point, Wolverine is like, all right, I quit. I'm taking the kids and I'm leaving the X-Men. We are done with you. And Cyclops is like, yeah, whatever, but, like, you can't take them if they don't want to go. Um, but they, like, most of them go with Wolverine anyway. Um, Beast leaves. He goes with Wolverine. Um, Kitty goes with Wolverine. Uh, Storm chooses to stay with Cyclops. So does Emma and um, Ilyana. They they choose to stay with Cyclops. So it's this whole thing. And the the fact that Wolverine named the school the Jean Grey School was like a big slap in the face to Cyclops. <laughs> so, so Cyclops leaves Utopia and he starts his own school and he recruits his own teenage X-Men team and he sets up his school in the former Weapon X facility, <laughs> uh, which is like a slap in the face to Wolverine. Yeah, it's uh, there's some funny stuff that goes on, but it's like kind of a dark age in X-Men. And I have very strong feelings of dislike towards a lot of stuff that happens, but also like very strong feelings of love towards quite a few other things that happen during this time frame. So I'm like, I'm super torn on whether I hate it or I love this era of X-Men. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, there, there's some fun things that, uh, that happen. And that one, like the Jean Grey school. Okay. Well, our school is in the weapon. He, he names it like the Charles Xavier school, which Wolverine also gets mad about because Cyclops killed Xavier when he was, when, when Cyclops was like pretty much being controlled by the Phoenix force, which is partly Wolverine's fault to begin with. Like it's this whole thing. There was a lot, there was a lot of mudslinging going on from like 2012 to like 2017 in the X-Men in, in the pages of X-Men. 
Look what happens when Gene's not there and Xavier's not there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, I don't think oh, that Gene yeah, I... would have agreed with Scott on that one, on the, the militarizing everything. I don't think she would have agreed with that. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I don't think that Gene would have. Um, I definitely think Gene would have been on Logan's side of that argument. Uh, but if Gene was there, I, I don't know if it would have ever gotten that, that bad in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this this is like 10 years after where Cyclops has been with Emma. And I know there are a lot of people that actually prefer Cyclops and Emma together. I do oh. not. Um, I feel like Emma Frost was a terrible influence on Cyclops. Um, even though we had like a lot of really great moments of Cyclops during their whole relationship, I just feel like his overall character arc was kind of like a downward spiral. Um, Cyclops is always at his best when Gene is there. I agree. Yeah, I I can keep talking hours, obviously, (laughs) about X-Men and all that. But um, despite the fact that we had, like, a really short episode to cover, we still have, like, a pretty decent episode of Snicktoons. I I thought we had a a decent conversation at the start. We had a fun top five. Of course, we got to discuss this episode. So unless you have anything else you wanted to cover, um, I think we we can probably call it here for the episode. All right. Sounds good. All right. Um, I, is there anything you want to plug or, or say um, to the audience? I know I, I don't know what I'm going to be doing for X-Men 97 when that finally does come out. Uh, my plan is to just continue covering it episode by episode, as I have with X-Men, the animated series. But I don't know. We'll see. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's possible this is your last appearance on, on Snicktoons. Um, is there anything you want to say to the listeners? Um. I don't. I don't think so. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> That's good enough. <laughs> All right. Well, Ariana, I I always enjoy when you come on. It's always fun just talking X Men and like you just let me kind of go off and and like lecture <laughs> like X Men one hundred and one lectures and stuff. And and I, I just love having a, the chance to do that. And of course. Um, breaking down the episodes with you and, and comparing top fives and stuff is always fun. So, um, yeah, hopefully X, I'm just able to continue as I do for, for X-Men 97. Um, but if not, you know, just thank you so much for, for always coming on when, when I ask. And yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. So thank you so much, Nana. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's always fun. So there you have it, bub. That is my conversation with my sister, Ariana. I was super glad to have her back. I think I've had her on for at least one episode each season. And so we had to do one one last time for season five. And it was fun to have her on. We got to break down a relatively action-packed, very fast-paced episode that ended up being fun. I, I feel like she was on for a lot of the apocalypse stuff that we had. So it was kind of fitting to have her back on for I believe the final appearance of Apocalypse. I can't remember if he shows back up in the next few episodes at some point, like going back through and trying to remember 
what the storylines are for them. Like, I don't recall him showing up in, in Jubilee's fairy tale theater or old soldiers, but maybe he does appear in the finale in, in graduation day. I guess we'll find out when we get to it, but yeah, it would just seem fitting to have her back on for uh, another apocalypse related episode. And of course, I hope that you all had as much fun with the top five as I did. I just thought it would be fun to do siblings since, you know, I've Ariana is my sister and, uh, we are talking to X-Men and of course with the soap opera level of drama that you get in X-Men, of course you're going to have sibling drama in there. And I just thought it would be fun to kind of talk about our favorite sets of siblings found within the X-Men universe. So again, just a fun episode all around. I hope you guys all enjoyed it as much as I did. If you like the show and want to keep the conversation going, you can reach out to me via email, talksnicked at gmail.com. If you're looking for something a little more interactive, then consider joining the Talkin' Snicked Discord. There should be a link for that in the show notes. So go ahead and click that and come join us where we talk X-Men, we talk Wolverine, we talk Marvel. I think we've talked Star Wars and Ninja Turtles at one point or another as well. Uh, we've talked all kinds of things on there. If it's been talked about on an episode of Snicktoons, it's probably been discussed in the Discord at some point. Uh, but it's a fun little community. Most of the people that are in there have been guest hosts on Snicktoons episodes. So it's just a great way to uh, interact with some of them as well. So yeah, if you're looking for something with a little bit more uh, interactivity, then like I said, click that link in the show notes and come join us in the Talking Snick Discord. As far as announcements go, uh, we are continuing on. I've got one last episode to schedule, so I've got one left available. I'll be reaching out to a few more people um, to see if maybe anyone's schedules have changed or anything like that. And uh, if you are interested in coming on for a a guest appearance, uh, reach out to me via the email that I mentioned and let me know, and and we'll see what we can do. I'd love to have more people on. Of course, we've only got five episodes left of season five, but I am working on what my plans are going to be, what my format is looking like for when X-Men 97 finally comes out. Hopefully we'll get a release date here soon, so I kind of know how much time I have in between finishing season five and when that starts, because there are a couple one-off episodes of some random TV shows here and there that I would like to discuss on Snicktoons at some point. And if we have a relatively long break from when the time this show ends and the time X-Men 97 premieres, then I might be able to squeeze some of those episodes in. So even if it's something that's X-Men related that you'd like to talk about, send me an email and uh, we'll see what we can do. If you want more of me, uh, obviously just stay subscribed to the podcast. Uh, I think I mentioned last week I'm working on something to cover a particular Excalibur story that is a favorite of mine that heavily features Nightcrawler as I've been kind of eyeballing a Talking Banff season two uh, and I'm trying to figure out what to do. And so I've, I'm kind of mulling that over. So I'm rereading that storyline right now. It's it's a bit of a long one, so uh, it, it'll take a little bit of time for me to get in there and and figure out, you know, how many episodes I would need for that. Uh, and of course, I'm I'm always open for suggestions on what to cover 
for talking stink proper. I would like to start getting episodes out for that again. I've, I've been itching to talk Wolverine for a while and I'm just not quite sure exactly what to cover with him. So if you have any ideas, of course, uh, send me an email or join the discord and let me know. And, uh, again, if you want more of me, then hop on over to YouTube and check out the cast without fear, a daredevil comics podcast. It is a video podcast that is hosted by my good pal, Kurt Schmidt, who, if you are Snicktoons listeners, you will have heard him several times. He's been on lots of episodes of Snicktoons, as well as the Snicktimus holiday special. Uh, But he and I are doing this Daredevil podcast. So far, there's like two episodes up, and I think um, the first one is like an hour, and the second one is about two hours. So there's a good amount of, uh, of Daredevil coverage over there. But we are going through the Daredevil series Issue by issue, starting with Daredevil number one. So we are in the heart of the Silver Age at the height of Stan Lee. I think uh, we've got one more episode that I know that Kurt is working on editing, but he's very busy right now. So he will get that dropped when he can. Um, And we are currently looking to schedule our fourth episode, get that recorded and edited out to you all soon. And we should be entering the Gene Colon era of daredevil really soon and that's an era that lasts for quite a long time and shapes a lot of daredevil stories from here until present day even so a big really really big influential run and i'm really excited to get into that era so like i said check us out on youtube the cast without fear a daredevil comics podcast and that's all I've got for now. Um, yeah, I, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, there's some recent Lego sets that have released that feature Wolverine, but I will probably be out. I will. I they they should be coming out. I think by the time you hear this episode, they'll have released because I think they were August first releases, and I believe this episode is scheduled for August fifth release. So these Lego sets should be out by the time you hear this. Uh, and of course, I will have someone to talk about those sets with on the next Snicktoon. So check out SMS 65 coming at you next week. Uh, and that's it. Until next time, bub.